looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, I'm going to take us through Luke chapter 2, phrase by phrase, because I like to exposit the Word of God. But before I do that, I want to set up for those of you that are kind of looking through the windows in on Christianity, and you're hearing a lot of Christian terms, but you don't know what they mean. I'm going to be using a term at least seven times, probably more, and that term is going to be the word gospel. And for those of you that are new to this, you may not know what is the gospel. What does this word mean? Some of you, you hear the word gospel when someone says, that's the gospel truth, you know? Well, I I get all that slang. But it has a whole greater meaning when you understand what Scripture has to say, where God sovereignly taught us what that word means. So if you have your Bibles, whether you have a, a hard Bible like I might have or an electronic version, will you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? You can kind of go forward. It's in the New Testament. Those of you that are traveling and you don't have a Bible and you can't look at it while you're traveling, you're listening on the radio or whatever, I'd like you to just listen because I'm going to take you through a passage of Scripture I'm going to give you what the word gospel means, and I'm going to tell you what it is so that as I speak about the gospel and how it relates to the birth of Christ, you'll have greater meaning. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a very, very popular passage of Scripture that probably does one of the best jobs where Scripture interprets itself. But I'd like to have you look at it, if you will. We're going to look at the first few verses in the chapter. In verse 1 it says, Now Paul speaking to the Christians who live in Corinth, to a church there. He wrote him a letter. And he says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand. Well, let's pause here and just jump right into what does the word gospel mean? So if you would like, you can write in the margin of your Bible, the word gospel simply means good news, or we could say it, glad tidings. Can you imagine the good news that we heard today when A family found out that their child that had to have major surgery would be able to go home in 72 hours and that they're going in the right direction. To me, that's good news. When you go to a doctor and you get a good report, that's good news. When you finally do your taxes and you find out that you didn't have to pay as much as you thought, that's good news, isn't it? When you come home from the doctor and they say, you're going to have a child, hopefully to you, that will be good news. But no greater news is there that God would love me and give to me eternal life. And now I hope we never lose the sparkle and the excitement of that so that it would propel us to be able to share that with other people so it's not just ho-hum, another special holiday during the year that really encumbers us with so many activities and so much to do that we miss the very central part of this is the gospel. So remember, glad tidings, good news. You'll hear that again in today's message. Let's not stop there. Let's now explain what it means. All right, here's the gospel. Verse 2, it says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, if you really believed in Christ, you believed in the death, burial, and resurrection, that type of thing, you have everlasting life. But I really want to go to the next verse, verse 3, because now he's explaining what it is. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. So in other words, he's saying, I didn't just give it to you. I'm a part of this. I believed it too. I received it as well. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And most people will stop there. They will define the gospel as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
you'll hear that quite frequently. And I don't want to split a theological here, but at the same time, I'd like us to be more clear. That's why our radio program is called Make It Clear. So I'd like to kind of open this passage up and make it a little bit more clear to you. So the question is, is what is the gospel? Is it the death? Well, it says so. It's also the burial. Is it that? Yeah. It is the resurrection. And we stop there. But if you continue on in the passage, as that's what you want to do, you want to take the contents of the verse and read it in the context of the passage so you can get the correct meaning of this. So let's go a little bit further. He talked about the death, burial, and resurrection, but he doesn't stop there. And he goes on to say this, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. So there was a group meeting together, boom, he met them most of whom remain until now, meaning that it happened that these folks that were alive when they saw Jesus, they're still alive today, testifying that they saw the real Jesus after he resurrected from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven. So now we have some real testimonies going on. Stay with me, and it goes on to this. It says, they remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Not all of them lived, some died. Then he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. And so he now talks about all the people that Jesus appeared to. So we're going back to the initial question. What does the word gospel mean? Glad tidings, good news. What is the gospel? And that's where people think it's the death, burial, resurrection. Now, I think if you want to have a large umbrella for what the gospel is, it probably more accurately ought to be the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection, and that he was seen of others. So it's maybe four parts instead of three. Now I'm going to split a hair. If I'm really looking at the very essence of the gospel, that of the gospel that saves, being seen of others doesn't save anyone, okay? Being buried in a tomb or in the ground even, that doesn't save. That's not a part of the saving aspect of the gospel. What is a part of the saving aspect of the gospel at Jesus died, he was completely dead, and that he came back to life again at the resurrection. So what's so important about those other two that would be included in Scripture under the umbrella of the, of the gospel, the name gospel? Here it is. When you have Jesus dying, what proves that the person is really dead? You bury them. And of course, other times you might uh, cremate them. But in these days, the biblical days of Christians and Jews, they would bury them. So the burial proves that there was a death. So the burial validates the death of Christ, which is part of the saving aspect of Christ. Remember, the key word is part of. Then it says, he rose again from the dead. Well, again, if you want to have Jesus be who he is, God, he can't stay dead. He has to come back to life. That shows now that he died. He satisfied the payment for our sin and that God smiled on all of that. Our sin was paid for. The death and the resurrection. Well, what does being seen by others prove? Well, what really that does is it validates the fact that he really did rise again from the dead. How do we know that? Others saw him. So technically, the gospel is the death and the resurrection of Christ. The burial proves there was a death. Being seen by others proves there was a resurrection. So yes, it's okay to put it underneath the mantle of the gospel, but the technical part of getting saved is the death and the resurrection of Christ. And all of that is the good news and the glad tidings. And you cannot have a death. Watch this now. Oh, let me say it another way. You can't have a resurrection without a death. 
You can't have a death without a life, and you can't have a life without a birth. And so when you come, you new folks, into Christianity, and we're celebrating the birth of Christ, we're celebrating more than just Jesus had a birthday. We're celebrating more than just a little baby that's in a manger. We're celebrating the fact that God became flesh, and to do all of that, he came as a child, an innocent little child, a baby. And when he came as a baby, he came then to live a life, then to go to the cross, to die a horrible, painful death, and to be buried, and then to rise again from the dead. And for people to see that he did that, to validate that what he said would happen would happen, and that he did all of that, and others seen him. And all of that would be wasted on it on us if we didn't engage ourselves in that truth. And the way it's wasted on us is we can know it intellectually that that happened, and some people find that very difficult. But if we don't simply trust in Christ as the one who did that for us. So when we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus Christ, and I really want us to do that, and I want to take that away from you and your family. Carol and I will do the same. We want to remember Jesus and his birth because he had a life and he had to have a birth. Now, I'm saying this to say this now. I also want to remember all of that is so that there would be the revelation of the good news of the gospel that now engages me to have eternal life and an eternal relationship with Christ. On that we should say amen. And so with that, I want to talk about the importance of the gospel. So let me set up our passage that we're going through that was so well read to us this morning. In Luke chapter 2, it talks about, and be not afraid, you know, all, all that, the angel is speaking. The real question is, to whom is he speaking this, and when is he speaking this, and where is he speaking this? Well, when is he speaking this is pretty much at the birth of Christ. But where he's speaking it is in a desert-like community, and he's speaking it to a group of people that was at night. So I want you to think of the darkness of night. And if you could, for just a moment in your mind, imagine what it would be like to go back to those nights. It would be pitch black, maybe a flickering campfire here or there. We don't know that it was a roaring, raging bonfire. We don't know. That could have been. But even then, it was just little fires, maybe a little lantern. And if you've ever been out where it's absolutely pitch black in the desert, Carol and I lived in Southern California, and you know there's just lights everywhere. But we've had the privilege of going into the desert of Southern California and be there even at night when you can barely see the images and the reflections off some of the mountains because of the moon, but it is pitch black. To lay on our back and to look at the stars, it just seems like there's more stars in the desert than there is in the city, and we know that's not true. You just see them more then. But think about it. Day after day, night after night, week after week, month after month, generation after generation, decade after decade, century after century, doing the same old, same old, same old stuff with a bunch of sheep. And all of a sudden that night, the angels show up. Boom, they make that proclamation. I have to tell you, I would be afraid. When we were staying in the desert, we had the privilege of staying in someone's home. And uh, they had left us their home to stay in the desert. We took our vacation, and I said, Carol, we have we can go on vacation. Where do you want to go? She said, well, where do you want to go, Stan? I said, well, it's July. I got a free place to stay. She said, really? I said, where do you want to go? I said, the desert. Who goes to the desert of Southern California in July? Well, we did. So we went into this lady's house. She was gone. I'm getting to sleep, 2 o'clock in the morning. I hear the most awful sound. You know, I was so excited. I thought, real coyotes. They are really howling out there. And, of course, I wake up Carol, you know. 
You don't wake up your wife to hear this sound of like a baby crying that's abandoned in the desert. But I can imagine how fearful that would be. And they have that sight of that brilliant announcement. So with that, I got thinking, okay, these angels are making an announcement. They're saying glory to God and how great all of that is. But I have to remember, they're giving this information because of their visual knowledge, their experiential knowledge of Christ because of the heavenlies and all of that. But catch what I'm about to say. Angels don't sin. So even with all that they had to experience about whatever knowledge they had about Jesus and God, they never could experience the same kind of joy that you and I could have in the sense that we are sinners, we are depraved, we are lost. We are totally without Christ. We are dead in our sins. We're alienated from anything of God. And now Jesus steps into our life. We trust him as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. If that doesn't light up your life, I don't know what will. And so now we, when we glorify the Lord, when we praise the Lord, it's coming from a heart of knowing we once were blind, but now we see. And how exciting it is. So I'm going to talk about the gospel to remind us of its importance as it relates to the message of the birth of Christ. But I'd like to light a fire under all of us, and that is because this is so true, will not we allow this to light us up to be more intentional in engaging the people that are around us? Watch this. Not just to to say to them, I'm a Christian, or I celebrate Christ, and I don't have Santa Claus on my lawn. I've got a picture of Jesus or a star or something. But we would engage our neighbors with the precious message of salvation that is found in Christ that earthly-wise, it had its beginning in Bethlehem and lives forever today, that we would engage him with the gospel. So that's why this message is the importance of the gospel but it's also importance of the good news. And there are seven truths I'd like to bring out from this passage. Would you like to open your Bibles and follow along in Luke chapter 2 now? And then I'd like you to follow along maybe in your outline as I go through this. Seven reasons the gospel is good news. And I would like to submit to you that you might come up with 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, but stay in the passage. Here's number one. The gospel is good news because it eliminates fear. We talked about that a moment ago when the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid. Thought about that. Actually, it talks about terribly frightened. They weren't just afraid. It didn't just kind of catch them off guard like someone comes up behind you and spooks you a little bit. This was something that they exploded into fear and they probably remained trembling while this whole thing was going on because they couldn't figure it out. Remember this too. As the angel came, Later on, there was myriads of angels that came. The word myriad means 10,000. When it's talking about myriads, it's like saying there's no number higher than 10,000. So we have to say there were so many of them, they're uncountable. So they would use myriads of angels. There were so many heavenly hosts up there. So the entire sky was like, here you are in the desert, and all of a sudden you are on the 50-yard line at night of a huge stadium full of athletes that's also loaded with 100,000 people cheering them on and you're the spotlight of it all. Can you imagine how that would be for you? Just think how it is to stand up in front of someone in front of a crowd and have to hear your testimony, how fearful that is. These guys are really afraid, but it really eliminates fear. I'd like to speak to that for just a moment. Yesterday I had an opportunity to do a funeral. Uh, What we've been doing here a little bit more is we're using our campus here, our church campus, that if we 
have an opportunity and people need to come in here to use our facilities for something that would bring them comfort, not just so they can have a party, but for comfort in here that we could help them, that we would do that apart from the calendar and certain little guidelines because we want to make sure we are good uh, managers and stewards of this facility God has given to us. And so this is our second time we've hosted a memorial service. The second one yesterday actually came after one that happened two months ago, but we're so touched by you all literally allowing them to use the facility then, they had a need now. What happened is a week ago Friday, there was a 32-year-old man who has his own business. He was riding a motorcycle in a residential area of Orlando. He lost control in a drizzle storm, rainstorm, kind of. And when he did, he died on the scene like that. The family was beside themselves. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to take care of putting something together. So they called and said, could they use our facilities? I'll make this story short. And through our discussions with them, we worked out an agreement that they could. But I was always wondering, I wonder how many people would come and are they ever going to get to the most important part because funerals are never about those who died. Funerals are always about those who are still alive, connected to God. So in the course of all of this, I asked them, I said, do you know how to put together a little format? And they said, no, nah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay, if you need any help, let me know. Well, about 24 hours before the funeral, they called me and said, we are so confused. We don't know what to do. Would you help put this together? And I did, so I wrote on the format. And then they said, would you also speak? And I said, you bet I would. I said, I, I, will, I will do as best I can not knowing this. And so as I went through the, the whole service, the place was packed, probably three times more people, four times more people here this morning. And as they're all shuffling in, very worldly-minded, you could see how they dressed, how they talked, and how they acted and all of that. Well, they all came in. And when I got into the gospel, I simply said to them, after we set them all up so they would understand our respect for this person, the fact that we want to bring comfort to one another, but also this gives us an opportunity to prepare for the future, our eternal future, through the end of the gospel. And you're always nervous. I, I would be nervous because I don't want to get into the gospel when they didn't ask me to give the gospel. I don't want anybody to come to a funeral about someone who died and say, you know what, y'all are going to hell if you don't trust Christ. You don't do that, you know, at funerals. So how do you engage them in an appropriate, loving, Christ-like way? I had a bunch of my brothers pray for this. And then we went ahead and I did the service. Well, now I'm over in the fellowship hall and people are eating in there. And I'm just kind of standing around seeing if they need any help or anything. And a lady came up and she says, I'm the sister of the person who died. She says, I, I want to thank you for giving to, to, to us, to our, our people here, that message of salvation found in Christ alone. I said, really? She said, let me tell you, I grew up in a home. My daddy wasn't the way he should be. And I was very fearful about my life, what it was going to turn out to be. I was fearful about my future. I, I was so confused. And so as a young teenager, I stumbled into a church, not knowing where I was going to go with this. And I walked into the church office and I sat down. I was invited to sit down by the church secretary. And the church secretary said, may I help you? And she said, yes, I, I, I'm so fearful about death. I'm fearful about my life. I'm just scared all the time. And that church secretary, like many of our people right here, knew exactly what to do. In a sense, with her words, put her arms around that girl who was so fearful as a teenager. And very carefully and clearly and compassionately shared the message that salvation was by faith alone. And she's now telling me her testimony. Everybody's all around, milling all around, and she's now pouring her heart crying. And she says, from that day on, I knew that I had eternal life. My fears that were so much enslaving me were gone, and I can face the loss of my brother and be what I hope to be, 
is an influence on my heart. Thank you for reminding me. Now let me say this to you. This is not a attaboy for Stan Pons for doing it. What this is is a testimony to stand strong and last long in every situation, to be gospel Jesus-centered and giving out the gospel because the gospel will eliminate fear. Good news, glad tidings. You do not need to fear. In this context, fear of the unknown, of the celestial explosion that was going on, but also fear of the unknown of what's going to happen next. Just don't be afraid. And I'd like to submit to any of you that are listening to me today that if you're facing an unknown in your life, I'd like you to listen again to the angel of the Lord say to those shepherds, and for just a moment you become a shepherd on a dark night of a world that might be very boring to you. And see, don't fear. Don't fear your future. You can have eternal life. Don't fear failure because you can fall forward. Don't fear your family. They're just people. Don't fear your fitness. We're all going to die. And it's okay if you know Christ because you're going to get a new body and live forever. Fear not. And I can give you that hope because it's found in the person and work of Christ, the glad tidings. Let's go to number two, two out of seven. The gospel of good news is good news because it brings great joy. Let's go to the next part of verse 10 here. It says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, I have to tell you that those of you that have not heard this part of my testimony, um, I'd like to share this with you. The night that Carol brought to me the message of salvation, my wife Carol, she wasn't my wife then, she was just a girl in high school that cared for the gospel and I guess she cared for me as an unsaved surfer dude, you know, nothing special. There was no amorous thought. I was just one of the fish caught up in her net, so to speak, as she went fishing for trolls. Anyway, when she brought me that message, that night she made it real clear, and she brought me to a decision. She said, wouldn't you like to trust Christ right now? Most Christians don't go that far, and I'm glad she did, and it taught me to do the same. Go as far as I'll let you go, but don't go too short if you could have gone further. So she brought that, and I said, I'll trust Christ as Savior. I got home that night. It was very late after the youth meeting because it was after a major night football game. I walked in the door. My rough and tough, hard to die for construction dad waited up for me. He never does because he gets up early and had to work a hard day. You know, he's a you know, worker. And uh, he said, where were you, Stan? And I said, Dad, I-, I went to a Bible study. Bible study? What did they teach you at the Bible study? I said, oh, Dad, it was so great. I'm so excited. I, I want to tell you, I found out that I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. I, that's, that is gospel truth, you know. And my dad and I, we danced around the dining room table for a while. Yeah, you don't say that to me. The, the sad part about it is I did so much damage in my zeal for my glad tidings and joy that it took a couple of decades before he came to faith in Christ. And right now he is in heaven. And uh, I hope he's not looking down on us because we're sinners. This earth is nothing. I know that he's up there with Jesus and worshiping him. Just like the psalmist, who have I here on earth that I desire? Who do I have in heaven that I desire more than you? Nobody. It's all about people. And I hope it would bring us great joy. I've seen many people because of that. Look, if you will, or maybe, maybe this will help you. I like John 15, and this verse is this. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus speaking, so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. So watch what I'm going to do up here for a moment. The gospel is good news because the gospel is the work of Christ on the cross, the death and resurrection. Stay with me now. But there is no work of Christ on the cross if you don't have the person of Christ. So the gospel is the person and the work of Christ. All right, so when I trust in what Christ did for me, I believe what he did because he said he did all of that for me, forgiving me of my sin. He did all of this to pay the ticket to heaven. I'm trusting in him. So now when I do that, I then receive Christ. He now lives inside of me, the hope of glory. Watch this now. So now I am joyful about the gospel that put Christ inside of me. I'm joyful for the gospel for what it forgave me of, my sin, and what it gave me, eternal life and a new life in Christ and heaven and all of that. To be. I'm all excited about that, but the real joy isn't only in the work of Christ. The real joy is found in Christ. And when Christ is inside of me, this is what really gets cool, is that no matter what I go through, I can still have his joy... You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.